0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of Podcast 1201. Um, today, we are going to be focusing on the news of the moment, which is the local elections um, that, that many parts of the country have had to elect their councils. Uh, there's also been a number of Police and Crime Commissioner elections, uh, Metropolitan Mayor elections, and of course, a cheeky by election in Hartlepool. So, we're going to go through all of those results and what they mean for the Labour Party, for British politics. Uh, for Scottish independence um, and elsewhere. And of course, we're going to have a little look at the results close to home in Lincoln as well. Um, and we are actually joined by a newly elected councillor as well. So um, looking forward to that segment. But I'm joined here today, obviously, I'm your host, Bradley. Uh, I'm also joined here today by Ollie. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by uh, Callum Roper. And I'm Honoured to say we are joined by Councillor Callum Watt. Good afternoon, Bradley. And are, you, are you officially a councillor yet? Is it, when does it officially happen? Is it as soon as the results are out?
1: As I understand it, I'm a councillor from the moment uh, the returning officer makes the announcement. So, yes, I, I am a councillor.
0: Great. So no, no one's going to tell us off for that. We, you are officially a councillor. Great. I am, yes. Uh, of course, congratulations. Um, we will come on to your, to your win and, and the Lincoln results in a moment. But we're going to start off with the Hartlepool by-election. So the the polling suggested that the Tories might be in for a win. Um, Labour was was a little bit concerned about it. Um, I I think in general the accepted opinion was that the Tories are probably going to take the seat. I I didn't see many people predicting uh, quite how large the majority that the Tories were going to get for the Hartlepool by-election was going to be. Um, but the, to- the Tories took it. It's a, it's a con gain uh, with 52% of the vote um, by Chil Mortimer. So uh, an enormous uh, mandate there. Uh, uh, with Paul Williams, the um, Labour candidate, uh, coming in at tw- 28.7, so like 29%. Um, so there's a difference of um, ju- just under 7,000 votes between them. So it's a 7,000 uh, vote majority. Of course, Pool has been a Labour seat for decades. Um, so w- what on earth has gone wrong um, yeah and I mean in, in terms of let, let's look at strategy for a minute um, C- Callum what I'm going to come to you in a second let's look at Labour strategy in that seat um, you know Callum you made the point that um, the, the the Labour candidate was a Remainer in what was a heavily lead voting area um, and he also wasn't you know from the local area and there's, there's all sorts of questions around Starmer and his performance in, in, in the leadership I mean, the the classic sort of jab at him now is that last week he was measuring up curtains or whatever it was in John Lewis. Um, Callum, what has are there some serious problems with with the strategy that the Labour Party employed in in Hartlepool and and as we'll come on to lo- local elections as well?
1: I think uh, there might have been too much of an emphasis on negative campaigning um, towards the towards the end of it, or perhaps not. Um, the right sorts of negative campaigning, I guess. Uh, I would have said it would have been more important to go after Boris Johnson for his comments about, his quite appalling comments, uh, about uh, the bo- bodies piling high um, before he uh, orders a third lockdown. Um, that demonstrates his sheer disregard for human life. I think that was would have been a much more... Um, potent line of attack, rightly, than uh, a little bit of uh, corruption, which unfortunately people now expect of uh, their politicians, especially if they're Tories. Um, and of course, Boris Johnson repaid the money. So in many people's minds, that would have uh, assuaged any, any anger they might have felt about it. Um, but really, I think at the end of the day, that the, um, the election comes down to the sheer lack of policy that the party is putting forward at the moment. Um, And I think, unfortunately, that's because some people at the top of the party really want to try and move away from the policy base that we had in 2017 and 2019. But they don't really have a mandate to do that. Um, And so if one was a cynic, you might argue, and of course I'm, I'm far from that, um, but if, if if one was, you might argue that this might be trying to be used, having a bad result here, nominally under the same policy programme, um, even if you're not talking about it very much, um, is to be used as an excuse to change party policy and make it, uh, move it to the centre or, or, um, or wherever these people want it to go. Um, I think that would be a, a very flawed strategy, of course. And if it does turn out to be the case that that that's what um, that 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 was planned, the sort of planned negligence, obviously that would be um, appalling. Um, But I genuinely i think the uh, i think the leadership has found itself in a bind in that it it wants to move away from this policy program, um, but can't uh, until something happens. And I think that's what that has resulted in is people looking at Labour and thinking, well. What do you stand for which is very which is jarringly familiar because, um you know, that that was often the case during the Miliband years. Um, actually, to be fair to Ed Miliband, um, he did come out with policies quite often, they were just kind of scattergun, uh, never sort of weaved into a coherent narrative. And one of the things that Keir Starmer was elected to do was to take the policies which were really popular in 2017 um, but failed in 2019 probably in, in part because of that scattergun approach which the labor party sometimes is prone to um, and weave it into a coherent uh, narrative maybe make it part of the national story because that often uh, you know that, that plays into people's people's hearts and minds um, that's what uh, so if i want to be more positive um, we haven't done that on this occasion, and we've lost badly in this by election. Um, but that's really what we need to go, do going forward: is for Keir Starmer to do what uh, members asked him to do in the first place, which is to take our policy program, maybe even improve upon it, um, and weave it into a coherent narrative, which is about winning the peace, um, or perhaps finding a, a better, more appropriate phrase. But you know, people often. Uh, hark back to Labour's performance after the Second World War. You can't draw a direct par- parallel because Labour was actually in power during the Second World War, uh, albeit under Churchill as part of a sort of coalition government, that they had proved themselves in government. And that's kind of the challenge here because we're not in government. But nevertheless, it's a, to me, it's an obvious way to move forward is to say we've had this sheer disaster Um which we have only been able to solve through massive state intervention. Obviously, the most successful part of that has been the vaccine rollout, which, unlike basically anything else the Tories have done during this crisis, was handled directly by the NHS. And lo and and behold, was uh, actually really, really efficient. Um, Public transport has been, or trains rather, have been taken into uh, public ownership as well. Um, the trend is in that direction, uh, for starters. Uh, so I think you know all of these things strengthen the arguments for what was in the 2017 and 2019 manifestos, and we need to move forward with those. Uh, whether that happens, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, I've seen rumours of, uh, of of uh, cabinet reshuffles, which we might come on to uh, uh, later. Um, But yes, I I think that uh, policy vacuity is probably the main reason we have lost in this by-election. The government may have got a vaccine bounce anyway, um, but they probably wouldn't have got over 50% of the vote um, had it not been for uh, us not really having much of a, um, a platform, and we need to rebuild that platform.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you see some sort of Starmer loyalist sort of comments on, uh, on the result. You know, trying to try explain it. Um, and I suppose if they're sort of they're a little bit trapped. You know, if if they're trying to support Starmer and, and stick with Starmer's leadership, but also explain this by election, they're sort of in a corner a little bit. Um, but but one thing that has come across a little bit is, that, oh well, you know, COVID isn't it? You know, it, it, the government's done well in the polls, but because of um because of the vaccine rollout. Which obviously is true, and, I, and I, I do think there, you know, there is some goodwill towards the government now amongst voters because of the vaccine rollout, which, like if if they're honest, has probably surprised the government as much as anyone that it's been so successful. Um, but of course, that that doesn't have to inevitably be the legacy of the Tory government. You know, the, the the way history views the Tory government on on their handling of the pandemic, because of course, tens of thousands of people have died um, unnecessarily, and avoidably, um over the past year because of. Complete government ineptitude, and you and you're right, Callum. You know, you, you highlighted the, the comment about let the bodies pile high. Labour should have absolutely driven a stake through the heart of the Tory party around that, um, and and have completely all the way through really failed to. Yeah, you know, there's been critiques around the effectiveness of various things. There's there's been questions asked around contracts and all, all this sort of stuff, but there's there's not been a you know La- Labour has never really and very deliberately chosen not to really go for the jugular on the, about, with the Tories on on. Their handling of the pandemic, and um, because of this sort of perception of you know we need to re- seem statesmanlike and constructive and all that sort of stuff, which really has enabled the Tories to completely set the agenda and the narrative on on the pandemic, I think, and and this is, is part of the result of it, and I and I think that probably feeds into your comments kind of about um around you know lack of policy, lack of vision, um I I think to be honest you know what what would what would actually Sarah have done hugely different. Um, if he'd have been in charge during the pandemic. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, and, and I think that's probably the answer a lot of a lot of voters would answer with as well.
1: What, what, worth mentioning as well that Jeremy Corbyn won that seat with um, increased majorities in 2017 and 2019 as well.
0: Yeah, so we're going to come on to that. So I'm going to come to Ollie. So we, we've heard about potentially a, a bit of a, a vaccine boost for the government helping explain this. We've heard about how, like a policy and vision from from Starmer, um, as as contributed to this. We also talked a bit about strategy and how you know Labour putting in a Remain um, candidate in a heavily Leave area, um and, and all the rest of it. All those are potential reasons. There are a couple of other reasons playing around Ollie that I'm going to run past you. So, one put forward by a lot of sort of Starmer loyalists is that. The narrative they're putting across is essentially that we're still suffering from the legacy of Corbyn and that they are beginning to make changes to the party, but this result shows they're not doing it quick enough, they've not gone far enough, so they, they need to do more work, sort of essentially in the way they have been doing, but they just need to do more of it to to, to get rid of the stain of Corbynism from the Labour Party. And then the second argument, which I suppose is related to happening to Corbyn, is um Labour and its relationship with the Brexit vote, and and how that's going to have impacted its vote in in Hartlepool. So, what do you think, Ollie? Corbyn and Brexit are those uh, contributing factors to this result?
2: God, it infuriates me. It annoys the hell out of me. Um, when you see Steve Reed and and other kind of uh, starmer allies, even Peter Mandelson was coming out of the woodwork and and saying that it was all to do with um, Corbyn and Brexit. It's just complete bullshit, really, isn't it? It's just a complete cop out. And um, you know there's so many factors going on here it's like a toxic cocktail um which which caused this this by-election to go so disastrously for for labor um but to to say it is because we haven't shifted um away from uh the previous vision of of the party um like quick enough i just it's a, they don't know where they're going at all really i don't think i think it, people can see that, especially the people of Hartlepool, they can see um it's it's not enough just to be uh, the lesser of, of two evils. It's not enough to um, you know, criticize the the Tories even though some of the pandemic handling um, you know, people view that as, as gone alright. Um I I just think the idea that it's it's to do with Corbyn or it's to do with Brexit. Um when we're we're in a you know a post Brexit world I think the choice of candidate was was pretty bad, and when he was asked about um, Labour's vision and his vision for Hartlepool, it it shouldn't be a a difficult question, and and this is what um Aris, Aaron Brastani was explaining on on Disky Tower. It it shouldn't be a, a question which trips you up when you're asked what is your vision for Hartlepool or what is the the vision for Labour a, as a country, um and, and the direction that. They want to take the the constituency or the town or the country. And I I think maybe that's what it comes down to in in a part, in a sense, um, a complete distinct lack of vision. Um, But it's so infuriating to see people blaming this on Corbyn, who was a a very successful, in my opinion, um, leader of the opposition.
0: So if we if we look at the stats, actually, because Callum is quite right. Obviously, the, the seat was maintained throughout the Blair years, but on declining shares of the vote e- each year. Um, so you, you see quite, quite a considerable drop from above 50% to, to the mid-30s um, between 2005 and then into 2015. So it, it didn't fare well under Brown or Miliband either. Um, 2017 election, of course, with Jeremy Corbyn at the helm, um, the vote share shots, shoots back up to to over 50% again, um, higher than it has been at any point before two thousand five um, since 2005. That does then decline quite a bit in 2019 um although it's still a higher share of the vote than they saw in the milliband um and and obviously you know a lot of, a lot of people would peg that to to brexit and and you know labor labor's res- result in in 2019 is generally a significant factor of that it is pegged to be brexit and, it, and its position on a second referendum um and, and as we say partly calls a a strong um lead voting seat. But, but even that 2019 result, you know, fair enough, uh, I'm a bit biased. I'm sure perceptions of Corbyn's leadership um, and, and you know, anti-Semitism crisis and, and all those issues would have also impacted that. I'd be simplistic to say it was only Brexit. But that, that result in 2019, with all of that going on, is still higher than the result that Miliband had in, in uh, 2015 for that seat. And, of course, the result we've seen yesterday, uh, sorry, on, on Thursday, is... Um, Considerably below the 2019 result and anything that the party's ever seen in that seat, at least for decades. And um, so, in terms of the numbers, the stats, it doesn't really bear out that that Corbyn's the issue. And I think also the narrative from from the sort of Starmer loyalists that oh well, you know, we we're trying to change the party, we're trying to make things better. We've not quite got there yet. We're we're not we've not quite done enough. But you know, we're sort of in going in the right direction. We just need to do more of it, and we need to make it quicker. That doesn't really work if you've done worse than you did under Corbyn. Um, you know, it, you would expect, you know, if they've sort of done a little bit better um, than than the twenty nineteen result, but not won the seat, you could you could sort of see what they're saying there. Um, but I think I think it was uh, Michael, the host on on, on, on the RME, was sort of saying, you know, you, you can't you can't make the argument that oh we're sort of heading in the right direction, we just need to do a bit more of it, and you know we'll get it next time or whatever. Um, if you've actually done worse than the person you're blaming for the result. It, it, The stats just don't really bear it out. Um, We're going to move on to the council um, elections now as well. So there were many elections um, on Thursday, of which the Hartlepool by-election was just one. So there were also local council elections across uh, England. So unfortunately for Labour supporters, this was also uh, not, not a good day for Labour either. So as things currently stand, I think there are still another eight councils or so uh, left to declare. Um, but as it currently stands, the Conservative Party have gained 12 councils um, compared to the last time these councils were up for election. And the Labour Party has lost eight eight councils. Um, and, and there's also been a council game for the Lib Dems. Um, so well done then. I'm not sure what that is. In terms of councillors, uh, the Conservative Party has gained three hundred and one councillors, uh, and the Labour Party has lost two hundred and sixty councillors across across England. Um, Callum, what? Uh, I'm going to come to you. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Lincoln in a moment, but how? Again, how do we begin to to explain these results and and what will, I, I think what I'm really interested, actually, from you is what will the material impact of this be? What what will this mean for the people now in those Tory-controlled councils?
1: Well, of course, it means that you have um, a group of patsies who are going to carry out um, government cuts without a thought uh, for their local people, which is what the Conservatives do. It's what they do on our uh, county council generally speaking. I mean, obviously... Um, I've lived in Lincoln for uh, 10 years. So I can't say I'm too familiar with what happens in other council areas. But I know what our um, county council does, which is conservative-controlled. Wherever the government goes, the conservatives take it that much further. Um, And in our case, they just decide whenever they get new money, they put it into reserves. rather than putting it into local services, Um, they've uh left our roads to rack and ruin uh closed our libraries um and you know they're just uh, so i think because uh, as you say as we were talking about earlier there are all of these national things people do unfortunately uh tends to vote on national issues in these local elections it's a way to uh express their views uh to the government um so local issues often uh, often get neglected, um, and I think that a lot of talented Labour councillors, uh, either incumbents or people who were standing for election, have lost out as a consequence. Um, and you know, my experience of Tory councillors, you do get some who are a little bit brighter, but generally speaking, they're not. Uh, you know, they they are people who are basically looking to suck up to authority. <laughs> and um, and they all they will do what the government tells them to do for the most part, um, except where it conflicts with their privileges, I suppose. Um, so that will be the the impact. I mean, I I, I always remember growing up. Um, you know, I grew up in Stevenage um, for the most part, um, and Stevenage is has been under Labour control since the nineteen seventies. Um, most of its services are in house. Um, it's really well run it's a clean town you know um it's obviously got uh, uh its own problems which are usually national based um but it was a great place to grow up My parents' town Hatfield down the road uh is under well in Hatfield uh district authority and it's it's just the contrast. you know you see litter in the streets you see um you know parks not really being maintained all of the services are outsourced it's much more much less efficient um the local economy isn't as strong um so that's the real impact uh, for local people whether they uh, you know that people need to understand is when you vote for conservatives you're voting for people who don't really care that much about uh, their community. Uh, occasionally, sometimes you do get a councillor, a Conservative councillor is a bit more public spirited who you can work with. But as a culture, uh, the Conservatives, they really only care about themselves. And that will be, unfortunately, the impact uh, for local people. Um, and it just allows the government to get away with it with uh, less scrutiny.
0: Yeah. Um... And of course, uh, we, we actually sort of, for Labour supporters in Lincoln, and Lincolnshire, um, what is quite a bleak national picture probably looks a, at least a little bit better here um, in Lincoln. So um, correct me if I'm wrong with two columns here, but my understanding is that for the county elections, we, we had four seats that we were defending. We successfully defended three of those. We, we unfortunately lost one of those county seats, but actually gained another one elsewhere in Ermine Cathedral. So the overall number of seats we've got on the county um, council has, has remained at four for the Labour Party. Of course, the Tories there um, winning with a you know a very, very large majority, as they usually do at the county level. Um, and at the city level, um, most of the seats that Labour was defending have, have been defended, um, although one seat was lost. Is that is that about the run of it?
1: Yeah, that 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 is uh, unfortunately the case. Um, prior to the election, we had five seats on the county council, um, four of them being in Lincoln and one of them being uh, outside the uh, the city. Um, and um, again, I, I think I'll, I'll I'll I think in defence of our colleagues uh, in Lincolnshire. Um, Despite the lack of resources that they have, far fewer members, far less money, um, far less support from the national party, they've done a really good job actually to hold up the vote um, where they could uh, in the rest of Lincolnshire, um, and I think that I think that they've really been stung by the national swing uh, for the most part. Um, we have been as well in Lincoln, of course. Um, we've stood still albeit with a one of one foot slightly moved because um, obviously we lost uh, St Giles um, we lost um, uh, Robin Renshaw who was a, a long standing councillor for 20 years uh, done a lot of uh, work for the party uh, over that time very dedicated councillor um, and unfortunately he, he did lose uh, in that um, division um, but we then also gained ermine uh, and cathedral, which we weren't sure we were going to win because it's got quite a, you know, it's got quite a strong conservative traditional vote in large parts of it. Um, but that one, um, despite going to four recounts um, during the course of, of the uh, of the counting process, uh, I think initially the result, the preliminary result was we were four votes ahead. Then it was three. Uh, then it was three again, and then finally it was two, um, which uh, I think was when everyone finally accepted that that, that uh, we had won it. Um, and obviously that was won by Karen Lee, the former MP for Lincoln, former Labour MP for Lincoln. Um, so I think we were all very uh, pleased for her. Uh, that we managed and uh, pleased that we managed to get that seat um and that we've managed to at least stand still in lincoln so that's that's um uh that is something to take from it um i suppose um that, so that's the county council do you want me to talk about the city as well
0: i suppose really my my question is is um why is it do you think that that lincoln and lincolnshire hasn't hasn't seen the losses that, that other places have
1: i think because we are i mean where we've held our seats is mainly in lincoln where we have a really fantastic activist base um and you know we've run a pretty good social media campaign <laughs> this year as well fantastic social media campaign um and uh, and for that reason, I would say we haven't been uh, considering as well that we haven't been allowed to campaign to our strengths. You know, our strength as a party—the conser- that we always say the Conservatives—they um, have the money, um, but we have the people. So normally, what you would see in uh, on the streets of Lincoln during the month uh, before, uh, or throughout the, throughout the year, really, but especially intensively in the month and a half before the election is you would see teams of 20 30 sometimes 40 people going out um and just canvassing and knocking on doors on mass um you know we can cover a, an entire ward in a single day no problem um and obviously we have not been allowed to do that on this occasion but we have still you know we've been able to communicate people through leaflets through telephone banking and so on um and that that has made a difference um out in the county, and maybe don't have those resources, but they have um i think done uh, done their best to hold up the vote there um so I would say on that basis we have slightly bucked the national trend we haven't really lost seats um we lost two uh, city seats, but they were um they were marginal uh, or one of them was quite marginal anyway um so yeah, I think I think that's. I, I think if I wanted to put an analysis on it in that respect, I think I was I would say it's because we're very well organized here, um, and also because in the city we have done a very good job over the last uh, ten years that we've been in control. Um, there were then sort of four years before that, the conservatives were in power and demonstrated how inept they were. Um, they weren't even able to set their own budget. Um, I'm I'm told that it was mostly done by the officers, uh, and of course, in the twenty or thirty years prior to that, so this is a this is a labour city, um, which we hold because we're good at governing it and protecting it from uh, neoliberalism. Uh, trying to you know um, in, invest in the community and you know invest in the arts when when we can, and it's. Uh, uh, and we are constantly under attack from the conservative government, but it's 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 gratifying right. that the people of Lincoln still have faith in us here, um, and we will spread that out to the county. You mark my words.
0: So, sorry, I so I got my stats slightly wrong at the start of that. Then so it, it's actually five seats we have that the Labour Party has in the county. Is that correct?
1: We had five previously, and now we've only got four.
0: Oh, so we lost. We lost two. Is that, we lost two, but then gained one from MoMAN Cathedral. Is that what you are saying? Uh, yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, final question for you, Callum. Um, you you have, have been elected um to, to represent uh residents in Lincoln. Um, first of all, congratulations. Uh, and what are your plans as a councillor? What, what 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 was the vision that you set on um? that perhaps you I'm assuming you have slightly more vision perhaps than the, the Labour party leader
1: <laughs> I think I think um obviously as, as I say we are still under attack from the government so we've got to protect our services um that we still have left um so that's the main priority unfortunately um but I think if I want to be more positive um I want to see us doing more uh, I I want to do, see us doing more on uh, climate change. Um, I want to see us building, and I want to see us um, doing more about the housing crisis as well. So the key thing I like to repeat to people is we need to be building more council houses and putting solar panels on them. That's uh, that's kind of my dream, and obviously we've got the uh, Western Growth Corridor, which is uh, which is going to be built eventually. Uh, local planning processes are obviously uh, quite lengthy, but we're almost there uh, with them. Um, so we have an opportunity there, I think, to uh, build more uh, affordable and social housing for local people. Um, and I think what that will also do as well is it creates more opportunities for uh, graduates from the university uh, to stay here and make Lincoln their home. So we get people who, are, who have been given the skills um, to, you know, create uh, more businesses, more jobs, uh, to run our services more effectively. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think that the trends, the university has been great for Lincoln. It's been great for its uh, economy. And, um, but what you often find you know because students come here they bring money uh and they spend it in local businesses really really positive for the city but not a lot of uh graduates stay we know this from our own experience this is a very personal experience for me a lot of people my colleagues friends cohorts have you know gone off to lossingham leicester and london i think my my vision is to try and make lincoln a place where people want to stay Um, and want to integrate into the community want to live here um, and make it an even better place than it already is because Lincoln's already a cracking city. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't want to stay here. I wouldn't want to represent my people, my community. Um, And it's an enormous privilege to have been entrusted with that, by the way. Um, You know, there's no higher honour for a socialist than to be elected. Um, And, you know, I, I, I... just want to thank people the people of bosham for placing their trust in me um and you know i will i will do my utmost for them um you know so uh, yeah so that's that's kind of the way we want to go forward i i could talk for a long time about uh, council policies i'm sure you'll probably be asking me questions over the next 3 years because that's the length of my term um, but that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on building our economy, doing uh, doing right by people, building uh, uh, council homes, uh, looking after uh, our community to try and deal with um, antisocial behaviour as well. Um, I think that will definitely help with that. Um, because you know, at the end of the day we have a housing crisis in Lincoln. We have a crisis with drug use as well. And all of that I think is comes down to the fact that people are, so many people are uh, unemployed um, at risk of homelessness if they're not uh, already. Um, and it's very easy for people, therefore, to fall into things like drug use to try and escape. And then that causes issues for other people as well. So I would like to take a holistic view of that uh, going forward it, it, into local government and, um, as I say, um, do my utmost to make a, make it a better place. If that's a bit wishy-washy, I apologise, but that's that, no, no. starry eyes, no, not- you know.
0: No, uh, fantastic! Um, a a bit of vision from a, from a, a up and coming Labour leader, um, uh, perhaps. Leader? So, oh,
1: we, I don't know. I'm not sure about that yet. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> one, day, one day. One day. I,
0: um, I was going to say, I'm sure Star was like that at the council level. but I don't think he did. did he? I don't think he was. Over no,
1: there. he went straight from the civil service to uh, to being an MP, and then within five years became leader of the Labour Party. It's uh, a meteoric rise. Mm. Um, but I, I do wish we had more MPs who had been councillors as well because local government um, it has been seriously neglected for the last 30 or 40 years. And if you look back at the most successful Labour governments of the 20th century, if you look at Atlee's cabinet, for instance, um, the majority, I think, of, of his cabinet had been in local government, including Atlee himself, um, prior to entering government, which meant that they had a real understanding of how policies are implemented on the ground, because local government does an awful lot. You know, it does most mm. of what the state does. At the end of the day, you know, healthcare, education, roads, um, waste disposal, planning, as I mentioned before, economic planning, uh, strategic planning, um, you know, licensing, uh, you know, all of these things. They're all critically important, and they're really, they are done at a local level. um, And yet at the same time, the the central state, if you like, um, has been neglecting uh, local government. And what we've seen during the pandemic, I should say, as well, is local authorities have really stepped up to be involved in uh, planning for, you know, setting up local testing centres, for instance, setting up uh, social distancing measures, um, advising the government on public health, um, especially in the second lockdown, um, for instance, uh, which was more successful than the first until Boris Johnson decided to ludicrously open things up when it was still the winter, um, as we discussed ad nauseum. Um So, you know, local government really does have a place in public life. um, And I would like to see more MPs who who came from this sort of background, um, because I think it would lead to to better government overall.
0: Definitely. Um, Carol, thank you very much. Uh, We will be watching your political career with interest, I'm sure. Um, And I'm sure there'll be many issues we'll we'll ask you to speak on um, as well throughout your three year tenure. We're going to come on to, to the bigger picture stuff around what Labour needs to be doing next in just a moment. It would be remiss to, to not talk about some of the other elections that were going on on Thursday. There were so many. Um, but we're very really quickly going to talk about the uh, the Welsh Parliament elections um, in which Labour has maintained its its um, majority. So it we'll form the Welsh Government again, although the Conservative Party picked up six seats um, in there. Uh, Labour picked up one seat as well, so it, um, certainly not a, a terrible night for Labour there, as it was in many English councils. Um, but the Tories gaining six seats, I'm sure, will be of concern. Uh, of course, also the Scottish parliamentary elections um, were happening, in which the Scottish National Party has just missed out on a majority, so it's, uh, an overall majority, so it's sort of 64 seats, where it needed 65 for an outright majority, so it's just missed that. Um, but I think I think those are all in. Um, I think those are all counted now. In the Scottish Parliament. I don't think we're waiting for any more. Um, but of course, big questions for a second independence referendum there, particularly um, as as the Green Party, the, Green, Green, the Scottish Greens, um, have picked up eight seats, gaining two seats there as well. Uh, the Labour Party lost two seats in Scotland. Uh, conservatives um, stayed uh, even on on thirty one seats compared to Labour's twenty two. And of course, there's the London Assembly elections. Um, again, Labour most seats on those. Uh, not much change. That Labour lost one seat, Conservatives gained one. Um, and London Mayor election, of course, Sadiq Khan has been re-elected for a second term, although it went to a second round of voting and ended up a little bit closer um, than perhaps people were expecting with Sean Bailey, the Conservative candidate, there. So Ollie, I'm going to come to you. Um, I've thrown all those figures at you. Uh, I say firstly, what do you think the Scottish results mean for the for the possibility of um of of another another indie Ref and and are are we going to see the breakup of the union over over the next decade?
1: Hmm,
2: I think I think it has a lot of um implications actually, and I think um I think the Conservatives are quite nervous about that actually. Um, and you can tell that because um just a few hours after it was announced that um they don't have an absolute majority but they did did quite well in Scotland again um Boris Johnson sent out a um like a, a plea almost to work together all four countries of the of the UK um to to kind of get out of the crisis he's trying to it, it seemed really desperate move actually um but obviously it went very well for uh, the SNP in Scotland, and you know the people have clearly uh, voted, you know that they they put their trust in the SNP um, again, and you know that they've seen them through the pandemic, um, and she's she's been very successful uh, in my opinion as Nicola Sturgeon, a very competent politician. Um, but what it means for pro independence, I mean the the Greens in Scotland are, are pro independence, so. That has implications although the S don't have an absolute majority. Um, they could kind of form an alliance almost with the Greens to to get what they want um, and you, you know the, the Tories just they just don't want to give it to them they don't they just they have absolute um, no time for it and they'll give the same excuses and the same uh, kind of now is not the time um, you know push it and kick it further into the future but i think ultimately um it's it's pretty inevitable that uh, the union was is going to break up, break up i think um as soon as scotland have uh, done it and potentially successfully who knows um other areas of the country maybe even wales maybe even you know yorkshire will move away from the union as it were um you know there's a lot of um call for devolution and especially in this election, you know, we've seen a focus on local politics. So um, I think people want the power closer to them. I don't think um, another decade of Westminster politics is going to cut it, really.
0: Yeah, thanks very much, Holly. Um, Interesting times ahead, I think, um, and Scotland is definitely uh, one to watch. We're going to come on to the final section now of, podcast and our election special and that's going to be talking about the response by Labour so far and um, to the election results. Now it, it'd be a little unfair to expect enormous changes from the Labour Party given that as of recording not all results are even in at this round of elections but of course we are beginning to see a shape of, of what, some, what some of the political response might be from Starmer and his team um, which so far um, See, and this might be a slightly uncharitable interpretation, but for as far as I can see so far, uh, Starmer's response has been to to promise to to set out a bold vision, um, which which does remind me a little bit of a few months ago when we were promised a policy blitz, and um, and I'm not quite sure what was in that policy blitz. If anyone can remember what was in them, um, let let me know. But I, I I don't think it was much of a blitz anyway, from from what happened. But we we've been promised a bold vision. Um, and we also begin to see a little bit of a shake-up of the Shadow Cabinet um, with, well, Angela Rayner, the deputy leader, seems to have been kicked off party chair, I think, and I think she also had a campaigns um, coordinating role party. She seems to be booted out both of them, but obviously deputy leader's in an elected position, so she's staying in post for that. Um, and, and all sorts of rumours were around different um, promotions and demotions and, and all sorts of things. So primarily it seems so far that Starmer is, is, is Promising to set out a bold vision, although if you watch what I think are quite excruciating interviews with him over the weekend, um, he he will not be drawn on what that vision will look like or or, or give any sort of hint about what it will involve, um, and and he, he's playing around and, and reshuffling the shadow cabinet, um, Ka- Callum Roper, what what do you think? Is is this the sort of thing we need to be seeing from Starmer after these yeah, what are quite frankly catastrophic results? It's also quite a, quite an odd thing to say because it suggests for the last year he's had his back to the electorate, which is which is not a great image to to convey to people. I don't think. Um, the councillor, what I'm going to come to you because you laid out such a good vision earlier for for Lincoln locally. Um, are you, have you been impressed by by Starmer's response so far, or or is it somewhat lacking? Do you think?
1: I think, I, I thought, I think like most people, it's probably safe to say I'm a little perplexed by the sacking of Angela Rayner. Um, I, I mean, she was the national coordinate campaign coordinator, it's true. Um, and we have had some uh, critiques, valid critiques, I think, of the national campaign. Uh, however, at the end of the day, I think our main criticism is the lack of policy. And that's not really the job of the campaign coordinator. How how does, that role, how
0: does that role work? I, I, I don't know much about how that role but I imagine
1: it's ro- largely symbolic, is it not? I
0: mean, Angela Ray is not sitting somewhere in Westminster drawing up a map of, of the country, pl- plotting their various campaigns, is she? I, I can't imagine she has that much oversight over the nips and bolts of how the campaign works. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Cam.
1: I, I've never worked in uh, Westminster, so I, I I would hesitate to give a, a definitive answer on, on that. But I understand that they chair the National Campaign Committee, um, which will have representatives from the regions um, and trade unions and so on, um, in order to decide what the general strategy is across the country. Um, But as I say, a
0: bit of influence. Then I I was maybe being so.
1: So yeah, I mean, I she has had some responsibility for this campaign. So did Jenny Chapman as well. Um, uh, Keir Starmer's uh, chief of staff, for instance. Um, It just seems a bit strange to me to uh, go out and say I'm going to accept full responsibility for this, and then respond to that by um, by punishing someone else. Um, i do find that uh, a little bit odd uh to say the least um there were rumors that she might be moved to a different post that hasn't transpired um so yeah I, i'm i'm a bit uh i'm a bit confused by that maybe uh, his uh, his plan will r- reveal itself um in due course um but i mean It is, is, uh, without sounding like a broken record, Bradley, you know, what we really need is uh, a strong policy vision that needs to be developed over the next 12 months. Otherwise, we are going to continue to lose good councillors and good potential councillors. And it doesn't set us up well for a, a general election either. So, you know, that's what I would strongly urge uh, the party to do not that they listen to this podcast i'm sure but um you know that's what i will be pushing for for uh, the the um the labor party nationally to do in any way that i can and i think others should as well is that we need to look at the policies which made us popular in 2017 more popular than we had been for decades um, we need to twist that into uh, or mould that, I should say, into a into a coherent narrative, which is, you know, which is about creating um, green jobs for people to uh, get to zero carbon, building some, uh, you know, actual so- social housing for people to live in, um, to bring house prices down um, at the very least. Um, and to provide uh, a shelter for people who need it. Um, that's what it needs to be about, Bradley, about uh, presenting a vision which is actually going to improve people's lives in this country. Because to be honest, mate, everyone is miserable at the moment post-COVID, and we need something to look forward to. And that's not going to change next year, uh, before next year, and the Labour Party needs to be articulating that vision
0: uh, Ollie, I'm, I'm going to come to you to to wrap us up. And um, w- would you would you agree? Do you do you think that's the sort of vision that Labour needs to be putting out? And uh, do you, I suppose also do you, do you think Sam is the man to do that?
2: Oh, well, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, I, I believe in you know giving giving him the the time, I guess, to to demonstrate that he can take the party in the right direction. Um, but so far from what, what we've seen, I um I I don't believe in that. No, I don't believe that he is the the right person to um take labor to where it needs to be, um, to be honest. Um but I, I completely agree that um w- with what Callum said about the need to kind of, you know, re engage people on a on a local level. Not just um you know talk to the focus groups or your senior advisors, because often it's just it's so out of touch and so far removed from the the people the issues that actual real people real working people face that it's just not relevant and I think you know he's demonstrating that with the fact that um he's removed um Angela Reina now as as party uh as campaign chair of the campaign um and that's just not what people want to see. That wasn't the issue. No one didn't vote Labour on um, on Thursday because if they had the wrong chair. It's just, it's just he doesn't know what to do, and he's just is he's like taking out on um, you know trade unions and the left. And I I just think under him the party is just moving further to the right. To be honest, and um, yeah, I I don't think he's the man to. Um, lead Labour to where I I think it needs to be
0: Thank you very much, Um, you've been listening to podcast 1201 Uh, we have been fortunate enough to be joined uh, by Stellacast, so it's a goodbye from Ollie who has joined us today
2: Goodbye everyone, take care
0: Uh, and we've also um, been joined by Councillor Callum Watt, I am thrilled
1: to say Goodbye everyone see you next time
0: and finally, we've been joined, who I am very confident in the near future will be Councillor Callum Roper. Um, and of course, um, last and least, you've been joined by me, uh, Bradley Allsop, your host. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will see you again next time.